0: All right, got really quiet really quick. All right, this is going to be out of Psalm 27. This is David's cry. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour me, My adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he'll conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. It's the word of the Lord. You can be seated. I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you that your presence is here. I thank you for these beautiful times when we get to behold you and worship, and we just posture our hearts to continue to behold you in this time, that you would speak and sow your word into our spirits, Lord, that you would compel us with the truth of who you are. And awaken our identity that you've given to us as a royal priesthood, we pray in this house. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Who is blessed to be here tonight? You know, you come to bless Jesus, and somehow you end up blessed. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. You get you can't outgive God. Anything you offer, somehow He just blesses you more. All right. We've been on this topic of priesthood, a royal priesthood. Look at somebody next to you and say, You're a royal priest. Look to the other person and say, Seriously, you are a royal priest. <laughs> Come on, that's the truth. Now say it yourself I am a royal priest. Yeah, you're just speaking the scripture right now. This is true. We've been uh camping on this. We're going to be camping on this for a while. I think this is a revelation that's really fundamental to who we are, to who humanity is in the eyes of God. We are a priest. To give a quick recap for those that have missed parts or pieces, you're not going to get it all. The podcast is there. It's on YouTube, it's on iTunes. You can catch up with it. It's one really long message. So, uh the more that you engross yourself in the full counsel of it, I think God will reveal more, but We've been talking about a priesthood, going back, looking at Adam and Eve as the first priest that God created. A priest is not a person who wears a clerical collar. Priesthood existed before religion did. It was simply a vocation of proximity and closeness to God. A priest had access to God to behold him and then make him known, imitate him to creation. So Adam and Eve were these priests who were to behold God in the inner garden of Eden and then cultivate the outer garden together and have children and build this life. And then there was the uncultivated land that they were to expand the borders of the garden so that this temple sanctuary that they inherited as a priest would expand and cover the whole earth so that the glory of the Lord would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And it was this beautiful vocation to, to behold and imitate, to behold and imitate. A priest is not about religion. It's about making God known to creation. So Adam and Eve, when they went before God, they represented creation. And when they went to creation, they represented God. In John 14, Jesus, the high priest, who perfectly represented the Father to a fallen humanity, he gets upset at his disciples because they say, you know, show us the Father and it's enough. And he says, how can you ask me that? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What's he communicating? His priestly vocation. I have represented God to you. Romans 8, creation's groaning. Groaning, say groaning. Groaning hurts. Creation's groaning like a woman in childbirth, languishing for the revelation of the sons of God. Why? Because creation was made to function with a priesthood operating under the counsel and the wisdom of God. So creation itself is saying, where is the priesthood that's going to make known the revelation of God to all the created world? Because it was put under the care of Adam and Eve. Do I need to say anything again? Okay, I'm asking for real. I want this to sit. You know, sometimes I've been I've been doing this intro each week, and it feels like those floaties on a pool. And then I'm like, gonna jump on it, and I'm like, I hope it's it holds me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you have no empathy for me right now. That's that's cool. All right, so I, I'm I'm wanting us to sit. You know how you have to put a tea bag in the water, and it just has to steep for a while. I think when it comes to revelation, I think when it comes especially to deeper revelation, and when I mean deeper, I mean something that's touching the core identity of who we are, we have to steep in it for a while. So we're going to steep on this, and really, I'm going to try to hit this from a number of angles. I don't have full clarity on where we're going to be going in the months ahead, but I have some ideas. And tonight, what I really feel from the Lord is that I'm going to lay a theological foundation for you to see that a priestly identity is actually second nature to you. It's the most intuitive thing imaginable. I'm going to show you that in a second. And then I'm going to weave how the intuitive design of a priest a worshiper, one who beholds God and imitates Him, how that very practically plays out in our lives, but then more in depth, I want to look at the story of redemption, say redemption. God has a beautiful multi-generational story of redemption that He's been writing since really the fall of man. He's been authoring the story of redemption. And I want to take a look at how the priestly identity that was lost in the garden, Has then slowly been revealed over time and is now culminating with a true revelation of the church of Jesus Christ. So that's a journey we want to go on tonight. Is that okay? I don't know if we're going to be able to get through all of it. So if we don't, it's okay. You'll just come back next week, right? That's what I thought. Okay, so we all function at priests at an intuitive level. Say intuitive level. What does that mean? It's natural, it's hardwired inside of you to function like a priest. Here's really baseline, this behold, imitate rhythm I've talked about, this is what it looks like practically. You behold something that you find really beautiful and you get captivated by it. You then start to talk about it and tell people about it. And then three, you create a context to behold it more and then you usually invite people into that. Can I prove it to you? All right, teenage boys. Who do they find beautiful? They see this teenage girl, right, about sixth, seventh grade. You're like, wow, my eyes are opened. I was blind, but now I see, And then what do teenage boys say? Dude, she's hot. I like sometimes look at myself, I'm like, the language I used as an adolescent, she's hot. And then you try to find a context to re-behold what you think is beautiful so you try to slip in the dms or find some awkward reason to talk to her at school right to just find some space you know i remember in like high school you know it's like you knew the girl you liked like where her locker was and where she was between periods and you're like okay how can i walk all the way to the other end of the school get there in time just to maybe randomly touch her before i get all the way back to the other end of the school you know what i'm talking about because you're trying to recreate a context to behold all right what are the what do the ladies do? This I don't, you know. I, I don't, I don't agree with this. I'm just gonna say I don't like, I don't like this TV show, you know. But it's like you're watching The Bachelorette, and you're like, oh my gosh, the love, the love is so amazing. All right, you get so captivated by this vain TV show. I'm just saying. But then what do you do? I hear it. You talk about it. Oh my gosh! Can you believe she didn't choose Nick? What the heck? And then it's like, pretty soon, you're trying to recreate a context. Like, you guys want to come over to my home for the season finale so we can watch this thing? A restaurant that you like, you eat something, you're like, that is so good, what do you start doing? You start telling people about it. Then you're trying to find ways to go back and bring people with you. I love basketball. Does anybody love basketball? I love watching Steph Curry play basketball. It's just, I'm fascinated by it. What do I do after he makes he plays a good game? I talk about it with people and I'm like, "You guys want to come over and watch him play? The game six of the finals is on." What I'm trying to This is the pattern. You you get captivated, you talk about what you're captivated, and then you create context for further beholding. This is like really intuitive, yeah? Do you do this? This is priestly. This is part of the priestly identity. It's the priestly identity that informs the worship of humanity. And everything that I just talked about, I'm not necessarily saying that we're all worshiping those things, but you look at culture, and culture does worship these things. And you can see, this is the pattern of worship played out. The question of our lives is not if we will worship, it's who we will worship. If we get captivated by God, all we will talk about is Jesus, and then we want to create context for us and others to see Jesus. This is the priestly vocation, okay? That's an intuitive level. Is that landing? Okay. So I, I, I want to take that silly level, and I want to I now weave this understanding into the story of Israel because God is trying to redeem humanity. Say redeem He's trying to redeem so that we are not captivated by lesser things because the flesh gets captivated by all types of lesser things and we end up worshiping them, creating idolatry. So what we talk about is idolatrous. We create cultures around idols and then we try to recreate context to further become captivated by idols that leave us empty. Cycle after cycle after cycle, you get a broken, messed up humanity. God came to redeem this priestly identity and the vocation of true worship. So that we can behold the true God and then operate in his image as a royal priesthood who's recreating heaven on earth with our lives. Extending the garden. Okay. So what God is, this is is the... The pattern, this is the prototype of what we would want, right? Is someone gets gripped by God. If you get gripped, say gripped. If you get gripped by God, you will intuitively begin to operate in that priestly manner that I just talked about. you, You will begin to talk about him. You'll be captivated by his beauty. You'll behold him. You will then imitate him. You'll speak about him, and then you will create context in your life intuitively without even thinking about it. It just takes place as you get gripped by God. Okay. Let's look at this in Scripture. Say, Scripture. We love the Scripture. Okay, I'm not going to go in deep with this because we talked about this a few weeks ago, but Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're priests before God. There's an inner garden in Eden. There's an outer garden. There's an uncultivated land And they are put in this place, they're given this priestly vocation that they are to rule and co-create alongside God and represent God's leadership to creation. And God gives Adam and Eve, he designs humanity with an incredible purpose within the creative order. That's good news, we all have that same purpose. That's what Jesus came to redeem. We know that they sin in Genesis three, the serpent comes, begins to tempt Eve, Eve gives in to the temptation. Eve, through Eve's disobedience, sin is birthed, Adam joins in the disobedience, they give birth to sin, they spiritually die, and they lose their priestly identity and vocation, and they are actually banished, say banished, out, who wants to be banished? They are banished from Eden, because they They aren't allowed back in and there's two cherubim that stand with flaming swords guarding the door. Who would come knocking? Not me. So Adam and Eve lose access to the temple, say the temple, and they lose contact. They lose the revelation. They die spiritually to their priestly identity. Say identity. So they lose the priestly identity, and they lose access to the temple sanctuary of God. This is a great evil, and we're now going to look at how God spent 5,000 years trying to redeem these two things. The humanity's understanding of a priestly identity, and then a relationship with the house of God. Okay? All right, let's do it. So it starts with Abraham. Say Abraham. Abraham. Who likes Abraham? I like Abraham. So Abraham, Abram at first, is where God most poignantly steps in to begin this work of creation or this work of redemption this, It's not because of Abraham; it's because of God. But God is just looking for someone to partner with Him. So He finds someone who has a barren wife, and He says, "Okay, through this man, I'm going to begin this story of redemption from the human side." Right? Jesus was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, so it had already begun somehow before we even began. But with Adam, this story of redemption that began before creation actually steps into time, and God speaks to Abraham. Abraham gets gripped he gets gripped with a revelation of God God comes and begins to reveal himself to this man Abram we don't know much about him other than that he was in the land of Chaldeans we know his father's name we know that there was somewhat wealthy family inheritance and God says leave go and he leaves and he goes to a land that God's gonna show him but Abraham gets gripped as he begins sojourning through the land that is now Israel, but it was the land of Canaan at the time, Abraham starts having encounters with God. And watch this. This is, it's very intuitive what he starts doing. He starts functioning as a priest. He gets gripped with a revelation and then there's a story like Genesis 15. God comes and appears to Abram in the land and Abram responds to this visitation from God by doing what? Anybody? He built an an altar. He built an altar. What's he doing? He's creating a context for a place of visitation with God. Now, Now watch. We're going to watch this priestly revelation. It's going to grow. But at the base level, God is beginning. Abraham's functioning like a priest. I don't have time to go into it tonight, but he has this very priestly experience with a man named Melchizedek. He has a priestly experience where he offers Isaac like a sacrifice on a mountain, and that mountain is, it's Mount Zion, it's the mountain of the Lord. So Abraham is functioning as a priest, but he's encountering God, he's telling people about it. How do we know? Because it's in the book. And then he's building an altar, he's He's, a, in a rudimentary way, trying to restore a place. He's trying to rebuild a house for God, a, 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 a context through which he can come again to meet with God. Do you see the, the priestly behavior, this pattern of being captivated, communicating what you're captivated, and then building a context? Okay? This is baseline. We don't have tons of time tonight. This is Genesis 12 through 15, 17, you can read. There's many altars. One of the altars was Bethel, which means house of God, angels ascending and descending. So Abraham is, he's being gripped by God, and then his intuitive response is to build an altar. Okay, so God is revealing himself as God to man. He's reintroducing who he is to Abraham. Fast forward a few hundred years, there is an incredible event called the Exodus. Who's read the Exodus? Who's watched Prince of Egypt? Same thing, right? Eh, Not quite. Anyways, hope I didn't burst anybody's bottle. Moses is born, and Moses is a deliverer. And Moses first, uh, he's sent from Egypt, you know, they put him in the Nile, and you know the whole story. He leaves, he's in the wilderness for 40 years, He beholds God in a burning bush. He gets so transformed. He gets sent back to Egypt. He leads Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness. This is all in the book of Exodus. You can read this on your own study. But what I want to zero in on tonight is what starts happening to Moses. Because Moses gets gripped. Say gripped. Moses gets gripped by a revelation of God. He actually spends 40 days on a mountain beholding the glory of the Lord. And it was intense, so intense that Israel was scared to walk up there because of what they were witnessing on the mountain. And Moses dared to approach the holy. He walks up the mountain of God. He is gripped by a revelation of God. And God actually starts to give language that he is actually to create a vocational priesthood and a place called the tabernacle. Say tabernacle. Another word for the tabernacle was the tent of meeting. Say meeting. So Moses, right now, it's a few hundred years after, about 400 years after Abraham, Moses leads Abraham's tribe, these people who had a rudimentary understanding of who God is at this point, and he leads them out into the wilderness, and then God comes to reveal himself in a greater way. So there's a greater revelation to Moses than there is to Abraham. And God starts saying some pretty amazing things. On Exodus 33, Moses says, Hey, who are you going to send with us? Have you read this before? I think Moses was absolutely out of his mind shocked by God's response. Because God says, Oh, I'm not sending anybody. I will be with you myself. And then to support this word, he says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to build the tent of meeting. And you're going to pitch this in the middle of the people. And when the people are organized, all the tribes are going to physically camp around the tent of meeting. And then to steward the tent of meeting, you're going to create a priesthood. It's going to be the Levitical priesthood. And this tribe, their inheritance is going to be to keep the tabernacle and all the worship that's going on inside of it, alive. And then God said, I'm going to then descend. I'm going to be like a fire by night and a cloud by day. And the the vocational priests are actually going to serve the national identity of a priestly nation. Right. So the vocational priests weren't the only priest. God says, I'm going to make you all a priest because I'm never going to leave you. You're going to have access as a nation to me, right? What is a priest? Someone who has access to God to behold him and then make him known to the earth. What's God doing on the mount in Exodus? He's establishing a priestly nation. I'm, you're literally going to camp around me. You're going to together as a corporate nation behold me. The, the vocational priests are going to serve my presence so that the national identity of this priestly nation who can behold me. So that means the farmers in Israel were priests. They were all priests. The stay-at-home moms were priests. The Levites were vocational priests, to keep the tabernacle going, but everyone was camped around the tabernacle so they all had access to God, so that then they would be a light to the making known to creation who? God. Representing God. Do you see this? So Abraham, rudimentary, gripped by God, he begins to build an altar. Moses, the revelation, grows. Say it grows. Why? Because God is progressively redeeming humanity, and through the progressive redemption, there's a growing revelation of a priestly identity and a relationship to the house of God. From an altar to a tabernacle. From intuitively, Abraham's doing these sacrifices and things to a vocational priesthood that's serving a national priesthood. All right. Can we jump to the next one? are you ready? Who is it? David. David, the man after God's own heart, the very flawed man, but the man nonetheless after God's heart. We read his psalm today that David was gripped by God. Say gripped. What did he want? He wanted one thing, to behold the beauty of the Lord. I love this psalm because it's David's, it's David's He's petitioning, and he's also confessing. He's saying, this one thing I ask for, this one thing I seek. He's like, give it to me, and I'm going to come for it. I just want to see your beauty, God. He's a king, but he's a priest. You know this story of David dancing in his underwear, how that was so scandalous? Do you know what? it's? It's not because David was in underwear that was scandalous. He wasn't. He wasn't inappropriately dressed because it was scandalous. He was inappropriately dressed because he had an ephod on. Who wore ephods? Why David, what he did was offensive, and there's such about his clothing is because he was wearing a priestly garment that priests were supposed to wear, and he was a king. But David had a revelation that was beyond the cultural context, because David got gripped by God. David was gripped by God, and God actually was awakening in David something that was a foretaste that was going to come. It was actually beyond what the day was. They had a revelation of the tabernacle, but David got a revelation beyond the tabernacle. What did David see? Let's, let's look at this. Some of you may have never heard this before. Who's heard the word David tabernacle, David's tabernacle? Yeah. Who has not heard of David's tabernacle before? It's okay. It's, it's beautiful. You're going to learn something new tonight. So, so, so David is gripped by a revelation. Though he was a king, he saw himself as a priest. And David had intense concern or zeal for the house of God. Have you, have you read this in the story of David? He wants to build God a house. So he, he sees himself, though he's a king, he sees himself as a priest and he's intensely concerned with the house of the Lord, not with military or financial or political affairs. He's gripped. So David gets this idea. The tabernacle at this point was not in Jerusalem. Da- David takes over and the kingdoms are united. He becomes the king of Israel, the king of Judah. He's in Jerusalem, but the ark's out in the wilderness. And he says, I'm going to bring the ark into the wilderness, Who's read the, or into the Jerusalem. Who's read this? He doesn't read right about how to treat the ark because he was a king, still learning to be a priest, apparently. And what does he do? He, He puts the ark on a beast of burden. What happens? It starts wobbling. Somebody goes to stabilize the ark, and they fall dead. Say, fall dead. Who would be terrified in that moment? David's terrified. David's like, I don't know what this means. He's actually upset in a way, and he leaves the ark at a Gentile's house, and he goes back to Jerusalem god begins blessing his favors upon this gentile it provokes David to jealousy we suppose that he goes back reads the scriptures because the next time they go to move the ark into the city they're not on a beast it's on a priesthood because a people are always the ones to carry the presence it's a people It's not an institution, it's not a beast of burden, it's not a a rule system, it's a people. The presence rests on people. So David gets a revelation, they're successful, they bring the ark into Jerusalem. I say this to say, how much fear do you think David and Israel has at this point around the holiness of the ark of the presence? Quite a bit. But then David does something that is extremely scandalous, right? The ark was in the holy of holies, who could go into the holy of holies? The high priest. How many times? Once a year. Okay, so what does David do? You would think, right, he gets the tabernacle, he puts the Holy of Holies, they do it all right, and the high priest can go in there once a year. That's what we would expect, right? First Chronicles 16, if you read this, David pitches a tent, say a tent, it's an open tent, and he puts the ark of the presence in the middle of an open tent, and he employs 4,000 singers and musicians to minister in song and music and dancing and singing and prophesying. Some think night and day, it's not exactly clear, but enough that the equivalent of spending hundreds of millions of dollars to establish this house where people are ministering under the presence of the Lord. And that Gentile that the Ark hung out with, he was allowed to come in too. Where was the encounter on the... Like, we don't, we don't know how David got this idea, but all we know is that David was so gripped by God, he saw something beyond where he was. He, he had an upgraded revelation of who he was as a priest before God, and he had an expanded vision of what the temple, the house of God, was. And the interesting thing is that the throne of heaven that we get detailed depictions of in Revelation... David's tent looks a lot like that throne. So technically, what David was doing was illegal at the day, but God was endorsing it. And then every revival in Israel after David's life was when a king would reinstate ministry under the Lord. Song, worship, singing, prophesying in the equivalent of David. So the idea is that God likes this thing. God likes David's tent. Then it goes even further in Amos 9 11. Say Amos. Who's read Amos lately? My best friend had a dog named Amos growing up. He was a wiener dog. I didn't like that dog. Anyways, he was named after a prophet, so Amos 9 11 There's this prophecy that comes that the day's gonna come when God's gonna restore the tabernacle of Moses. No. The day's going to come where God's going to restore David's tent. Then Isaiah 16, 15, Isaiah prophesies that God's going to make a throne on David's tent. Whoa. This is amazing. David, so was so captured by God and had so captured the heart of God himself that God actually entrusted to David a revelation of what was to come, of a day when people would be able to to have the authorization to come before God himself and behold the Lord as a priesthood. So David's a forerunner of this. Say forerunner. Forerunners usually pay a heavy price. Because they see something that's beyond, and they're usually persecuted and challenged for it. They pay a heavy price to pioneer a narrow path that will become a highway for others to follow. So David does this. David also has his flaws. There's no perfect high priest. And then Israel's story kind of goes into stagnancy and exile and all these things. And they're waiting for an anticipated one, the son of... David, the Messiah, who's going to come and somehow restore David's tent and build a throne on David's tent. This is cool. So then who shows up in the Galilee in AD 0? Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, and he is the divine human. He's the son of God. The son of man and he is the high priest of heaven he was the high priest to come he was the high priest that Abraham looked to that Moses looked to that David looked to and he has no sin like all of them did he has no flaws he has no shortcomings, and we could talk about Jesus all night uh, I'm not going to this is all about Jesus but not about his life but I, I want to talk about specifically what he did. He came as the high priest of heaven to be crucified on a cross, to to take the sin of humanity, to be the, the lamb of God that was slain. And then he entered into the temple of God, not made with human hands, not the temple on earth, not the shadows, the mirrors of the heavenly, but he ascended into the actual house, the throne of heaven, not by blood of Boats, goats and bulls, but by his own blood, and he stood righteous before the living God and tore the veil so that he could fulfill the, the prophecies, so that he could redeem a priesthood in humanity, and he could restore the mandate that the house of God would come to earth, that the, the garden Would cover the earth so that the knowledge of the glory of God would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Jesus didn't come to do it all himself. He came to be the second Adam who was the firstborn among many brothers. He came to restore a priesthood. He had his part. His part is finished. And with his blood, he atoned and paid the price for the full redemption of your identity. your vocation to then imitate God and create an Eden on earth okay so Jesus Jesus goes to heaven and says wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high right so quick backs note when Whenever the house of God is mentioned, when the the tabernacle or the temple of Solomon, when they would pray and consecrate the house, what would happen? Fire would fall and would consume. So in the wilderness, the fire comes like a, a pillar of fire and a cloud by day, and all of Israel beholds. The fire of God, the presence of God. They are corporately a nation of priests beholding God. Solomon, when he dedicates the temple, it says the fire fills, the glory came into the temple so much that the priest couldn't stand. What happens on the birthday of the church? They're gathered in the upper room and tongues of fire fall on the new temple who are also the royal priesthood. They're together in the church. Moses, or Abraham, is doing these priestly things and rudimentaries, building altars. Moses gets this picture, but Israel's stubborn and they build a tabernacle and they're learning this Levitical priesthood. David sees this, this tent where he's, he's employing singers and it, it was beautiful, but it, it didn't last. And It would come and go and it would come and go. Jesus comes and wipes away the sin that was between and fuses these things together that, that my priests are the temple. My presence is upon you. My presence is in your midst. And this is the thing with the church. It's not you like I am the temple. I am not the temple. We are the temple. There's no singularity. Jesus is not a polygamist. He has one bride. We are the temple. We are the priest. Okay, so watch this. Fire comes on the temple, who is the priesthood. And what do they start doing? They start talking. They start trying to tell people. It's not wine. It's not wine. It's better. Peter's like, I got good words. Finally. Finally, I have the right thing to say. This is like the days of, of old that, that Joel prophesied about, right? Peter's like, i got it. Peter starts talking, right? Because what do priests do? They behold. They're captivated. They're gripped. They start talking about what they're gripped. And then they start recreating context for further beholding. What do they start doing? They start adding to their numbers. Why? Because they're gathering in the temple, and then they're meeting house to house, and they're listening to what the apostles, who were the ones gripped by God, what they were talking about. And they're recreating, let's meet in houses. Let's pray. Let's do this, because people are gripped. Say "Gripped." gripped. There's this new priesthood. But this is when it gets really amazing. Are you ready for this? So they're still meeting at the physical temple, because the temple's still constructed at this point, but then the persecution comes, the church gets scattered. people starts flooding across the Mediterranean world. They come to a city called Antioch, say Antioch. Antioch, so this church, it's no apostles are there. There's no famous people. We don't know anybody that's there. All they know is that the news of this anointed people that they called Christians started reaching the ears of the apostles in Jerusalem. So they send Barnabas there. they like, we got to figure out what is happening in Antioch because now the church doesn't have a temple. What do we do with this? Then in Acts 13, so a few years later, Paul and Barnabas are... It's Saul at this point, but they're with the leaders of the church of Antioch, and it says that they are ministering unto the Lord. Say, ministering unto the Lord. Exact same word that they would use, that the Levites would minister unto the Lord in the tabernacle or in the temple. Same word. What does the early church see themselves as? Priests that are ministering where? In a new temple. They did not see the church like it was a synagogue where you gather together and teach good teaching. It's not bad. They saw the church as the temple of God, which if you were a Jew, that meant one thing. That's where Shekinah was. That is where God himself dwells. But they're in Antioch. The temple's in Jerusalem. No, the temple's gone mobile. The, the temple has the ability to spread across the whole world now. How is it spreading? Where is it spreading? It's spreading in David's tent. In a people that gather together with boldness to approach the throne of grace and to sing a new song unto the Lord and to minister unto the Lord and actually offer themselves to the Lord because they're being captivated and gripped by God. And then as people get gripped by God in Antioch, what are they doing? Talking about it. And then recreating context for further beholding. What's Paul do? Paul gets gripped. And then what does he spend his life doing? (laughs) <laughs> building the temple called the Church of Jesus Christ, man. Is somebody seeing this yet? We are a new priesthood who have hardwired inside of us. We, we, there, when you awaken to a priestly identity, you zeal for his house will consume you. Because God is trying to cover the whole earth with worship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. God is jealous for humanity to worship one person, himself. Because he's the only one that satisfies. So we're recreating the temple everywhere we go. This is our vocation. John Piper says that mission exists because worship doesn't. So what is our job as a priesthood? To get so gripped by God that we just start talking about Him and intuitively recreating context. What does this look like in the church? Well, what are we doing here? We're here at a temple tonight. I mean, that worship, what are we all doing? We're beholding God. I mean, we behold you. We behold you. We're We're... we're one thing i ask for and then i also seek is to be captivated by your beauty and to meditate in your temple That's what we're doing we're, we're tapping into a priestly identity that is awakened as we see him priests have access to god say access we behold him then we imitate him so the church this is the early church they would gather on the lord's day in the temple and then they would Go out, and then they would meet house to house. because they're everyday believers. we're wanting to recreate, right? Because in the church there's a vocational priesthood, say vocational priest, vocational priest, and then there are is a royal priesthood, which is the whole church. So just as the vocational priests in Israel were to steward the tabernacle so that the farmers and the business people and the marketplace and the stay-at-home moms and the teachers and every other vocation in life that they can come on the Lord's Day to the tent of meeting, to David's tent, which God has made a throne for his son because he's enthroned upon the praises of his people. How are we bringing the dominion of Jesus to fallen, broken places in the world? By creating David's tent! God's going to make a throne there. He's making a throne tonight. Do you realize it? You came to his throne room tonight. Well, this is so ordinary. Why am I allowed? I'd... Because the blood of Jesus washed you clean so that you can come into his manifest presence and behold him. Wow. How are we going to see a region transform? We're going to gather. We're going to behold the Lord. We're going to get gripped by him. And then we're going to go out and start talking. And then, right, farmers aren't vocational priests, but they're priests. And farmers may not, it's not on, on the Lord's day, but they have a home. And if you're really gripped by God, you want people in your home hearing about what you're gripped about. Just come here. Just, 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 just let me talk to you. Let me just share about this with you. And you recreate a context for people to see what you've seen. Mission exists because worship doesn't. If, if we can, if, if people, if the world, if America can just see him. He's better. He's better. Culture is glittery, but he's like the pearl of great price. Come on, somebody. This is really good. you see how deep this is? All right, so if you want even any more proof that this is how the, the church saw this, they have the, the council in Jerusalem, Acts 15, the leaders, Paul is coming, and all his Gentile ministry, and all the Jewish leaders, and they're trying to figure out, you know, this whole Jewish Gentile thing. We're still trying to figure that out, you know? How, how does this all work together? And James, the Lord's brother, speaks up and says... He quotes Isaiah 16. He says, we heard the days were going to come when God was going to build a throne on David's tent. This is, this is their understanding of the church. So you can see, I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. I know time. You can see that there has been such an assault from hell to try to denigrate and slander and and. and and sow seeds of division even within hearts that there would be no fidelity or love or loyalty for the house of God. The house of God is flawed because we are a people on a journey of redemption, but the house of God is beautiful. The priesthood of believers, this is why Paul said, Don't forsake the assembly. Of believers because this is where your priestly identity is awakened and reawakened and reawakened and reawakened it is as you gather together in the house of God in the tent of meeting and behold him become like him imitate him I I think that you will start to see what we're doing here at River House in these lens my I, I feel the assignment from heaven on our house is to build him a temple in this valley that 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 is accessible throughout the week a a, a truly a place where like david's tent that's what I think god's resourcing us to do is to build a place where the, that we are praying and worshiping and blessing his name and beholding him so that it is accessible this is why I think the location the land he's like I see it this is this is what he's doing, right, and, then, and then we talk about house churches, revival groups, they're, they're house churches. We're calling them that starting two weeks from now. House churches, they're just more functional, that's why. It's nothing that creates, just that's what they are. And this is house to house, to further, this is the context. It's just, it's a house of prayer and house church. Right? And, and we're building community, like we are building community, who loves community? But it's not, it's not community for community's sake. It's a community around the presence of God. Israel wasn't just, God's not like, you're just, you're just a blessed nation. I'm just going to favor you above all nations, which he has. God is a God of covenant. But it's not like, just to make you cool, Israel, just, just so that, just because you guys are the bee's knees. Because I looked at you, Abram, and you were like, man, that's my guy. Good looking. Like, God wasn't impressed. It was, I'm going to set you apart. Because you're the weakest of all people. You're the most humble of all people. I'm going to choose you so that it won't be about you, but it will be about my glory. And God's looking for faith. He's looking for people that want him. Not them that will say, I'll live my life for you. I'll cross the ditch of self last week so that I can actually live my life for you because when we live it for him, we find our life. If we try to find our own life, we lose it. This is the picture of the church. This is the dream that Jesus shed his blood for is that we would take the temple and we would recreate. We would, we would carry this good news to the ends of the earth amen so where do we go from here this is the question that I've been asking this is what I want to journey into just to kind of prep you for it is how do we behold him how do we get gripped by God in you know, Psalm 27 I want to encourage you as a church we could just read on that but I love David's posture it's one thing he asks for and he also seeks it's not an overnight affair. I think a lot of times when we say gripped, we think of like this moment. It's a, it can be moments, but it is a lifestyle. It's a rhythm. And, and my dream here for River House, that we get a rhythm where we are coming and we're beholding him in the house of the Lord, the house of prayer, Monday nights, Wednesday mornings, Sundays, you know, and hopefully more as, you know, space permits, but we, we're in a rhythm. Where we're coming and we're beholding him. Then we get into the house churches and we're beholding him there, and then God is forming an identity. He's, we're wrestling with together. How am I becoming? What does this mean? Like, this is what community does. It sharpens us. It reveals things that we couldn't see otherwise. But we get activated in his presence, and then God's working with us in community, and we're growing up, and we're maturing, and people are getting gripped by God, and then recreating context for others to get gripped by God, and this is happening at the temple level. This is happening in the house, and then this is happening at the individual level. Say individual level. Your family. Your home, your home is a sanctuary of God because you're a priest of the Most High God. Like you, you have everything in you, the blueprint, the DNA to build your marriage, your children, your relationships, your workplace. It does not matter where you are. Right, if we're in these rhythms, communal rhythms, personal rhythms, like we'll start to build a garden. We'll change your region. Why? Because... This, we're not just talking about like the cool things. We're creating a context for Jesus to be enthroned. We pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where is it going to come? It's going to come right there through the Church of Jesus Christ. This is his plan. He's asking for your time. He's asking for your life. But if, you, if we will get gripped by God, we'll see who we are as royal priests and zeal for his house will consume us. I promise you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's uh, let's just stand on our feet. I'm going to close. I'm going to close by reading the, the prayer that we sang and worshiped earlier out of Ephesians 1, uh, that spirit of wisdom and revelation. If you didn't know, that's right out of the Bible. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And I just want to pray that over us as a house. Yes, So, Lord, we come in your name tonight. I thank you for for this local church, God, that is the hope of the nations. I thank you for the temple that we are building together. We're building you a, a tent of meeting. Lord, a house that will change the houses we live in. That will change the houses of the people that live near the house that we live in Uh, a house of prayer that will that that we will build our lives around your presence lord that we will then carry everywhere that we go and and so i just pray this lord tonight that that the god of our lord jesus christ the father of glory would give to us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of jesus i pray that you will open our eyes to a revelation of Jesus Christ. And I ask, Lord, that you will grip us as a community with the beauty of God. That we will be so captivated by who you are that we will just we we won't know what to do with ourselves lord that it will get into us at such a deep level that intuitively a priesthood of pure worship will arise that begins to just talk about you and recreate context for further beholding in our lives god i thank you that you created us before the foundation of the world you created us as a royal priesthood. And we thank you for Jesus, the high priest, who came and shed his blood to redeem and reawaken what we lost in the garden. That you will redeem our understanding of a priestly identity, and you will redeem our love and zeal for the house of the Lord, for the temple sanctuary of the Most High, where we dwell in your house and are captivated by you. So I ask, Lord, for the inheritance of this house to be released tonight which is a revelation of Jesus Christ, that the face of God would be revealed to your people in the tent of meeting, that eyes would open to see the Father and that the hearts of this house, God, they would be gripped by something so much bigger than us, so much more beautiful than what we could fathom. Lord, that desire will erupt inside of hearts tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. You know, I, I'm going to have the prayer team come forward. And I just have a sense that even as I, I was, as I was praying, I could feel some of your hearts. There's just, I don't know, maybe a stirring inside of you. And if, if you just, if something's stirring and you want to respond to the Lord, you can, you can receive prayer. You can kneel at your seat. Um, if, if you need to go and, and get your children, you can go. You are blessed to go. But if you want to get your kids and bring them back in, I'm just going to have Becca keep singing this song in that 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 we would you know j- just create space for us to behold God together if that's if that's a desire in your heart tonight. So I don't know, I just feel like I'm supposed to keep praying. I want to honor your time. So if you need to go, you can go, let's just maybe dim the lights. Lord, we just make this about you right now. Lord, we just make this about you right now. You need to leave just leave quiet but I just feel some of you I don't want you to hurry even if you have your kids you can bring them back in don't don't hurry Lord do what you want to do here this, this isn't about the ministry of man this is about the ministry of your heart Lord this is about what happens when we see you and get captivated by your presence so I just pray for a revelation of the presence of Jesus Christ in every heart, God, in every heart that's hungry, in every heart that's searching, Lord, that that you would, you would, we, we would find you in this place tonight. We would find you in this temple tonight. We would find you in this tent of meeting, that there would be face to face, face to face with God in this very room by your Holy Spirit tonight we pray come Holy Spirit and reveal Jesus to this house open our eyes to who he is open our eyes to his beauty